Will you please join me in the prayer for illumination? Let us pray. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. The scripture for today comes to us from the third chapter of Jonah. We read as follows. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on a sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord for the people of God. I think if I am going to give Jonah a nickname, I'd call him like the maritime prophet or something, because you all didn't think I'd wear this for like three weeks in a row, but I'm going <laughs> to. So, got to be safe, you know, never know when you're going to get on a boat, get swallowed by a fish, you know, safety first. Uh, so we've been in the middle of a series on Jonah, walking through uh, the book chapter by chapter. And in chapter 1, we will remember that Jonah, the prophet, the mouthpiece of God, is called uh, to go to Nineveh. So he charters a boat, he gets on the Mediterranean, doesn't go as planned, gets thrown overboard. Chapter 2, swallowed by a big undefined fish. And then Jonah is in the belly of the fish and he's out of prey. And then chapter 3... Jonah goes about his business. And I love how chapter 3 starts. Verse 1 says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. As if the first time wasn't good enough, right? I just love that the author sneaks that in there under the radar. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God interrupts Jonah again in the midst of whatever Jonah was doing. Well, um... He wasn't doing a whole lot, was he? As we will recall. The, the way that chapter 2 ends, it says that the fish spewed Jonah up onto the dry earth. That's a very polite way. The Hebrew there literally is vomited. The fish doesn't know what to do with the contents of its stomach. It repulses the fish so much that the only way to get the contents out is to throw up on dry land. And Jonah is left there. Right? You can just imagine the scene. Maybe he's wearing one of these. He's just covered in bile. And then the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, Go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, Okay. <laughs> right? I just don't know how that went. Uh, it comes the second time. And immediately we get some good news in the beginning of chapter 3. 
that God is the God of second chances. And it's a good thing for Jonah. Otherwise, he would have ended up in that fish for a very long time. God is the God of second chances. And he says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, okay. So verse 2 reads that he uh, is to go to Nineveh, the great city, and other things, which raises this question that we've been sort of uh, walking around for the past couple weeks. Where's Nineveh, and who are the Assyrians, and why, and what is going on, and where is it located in the story in the world? So let me give you some background here, that the Assyrians were a powerhouse of an empire, and they kept peace in their lands like all great empires keep peace in their lands, through violence and intimidation. That's how you do it. Um, They're culturally really unlike the Hebrews. They're not like the people of Yahweh. Let me put it this way. They're like the Yankees, right? (laughs) They're violent and intimidating. Uh, No one likes the Yankees, not even Yankee fans, right? They're just too scared to like anybody else. Uh, The Syrians really are like that big ball club with a big budget, and they can do whatever they want, and they're going to push around whoever they want. Uh, But in all seriousness, they, they were a powerhouse in the Middle East, and they were culturally unlike the people that they conquered and forcibly relocated. The Assyrians are the people that forcibly relocated all of the northern tribes of Israel. Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel, gone. Responsible? Assyrians. They are the bad people in the story. They have perpetrated violence against God's chosen people, and that is who Jonah is called to go talk to. So not only are these people completely unlike him, But the people that he's supposed to go to, he is supposed to hate. They are enemies of his people. Verse 3 says, according to God's word. So other things so far in the story have acted according to God's word, right? The, The wind that's kind of spurred up over the sea, and the sea swallows up Jonah. The fish acts according to God's word. It is provided by God, and the fish listens to God and goes and finds Jonah. Everything else in the story is acting according to God's word, except for Jonah. (laughs) Now, in chapter 3, finally, Jonah is acting according to God's plan and God's word. Which means, uh, leads me to believe that sometimes it doesn't matter what you want to do. It matters what God has called you to do. And in verse 4, I come across this. He cried out, 40 more days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is the only prophecy in the entire book of Jonah who's a prophet. (laughs) He's only got one prophecy, right? That's it. It's only here. It's found in verse, uh, sorry, in chapter 3. Everything else, this is a story about Jonah, but the only prophecy is this one. And it's really a shame that, like, we don't have intonation, isn't it? Uh, I just wonder how he said this. Is it more like, 40 more days and Nineveh shall be overthrown! Or is it more like, 40 more days and Nineveh shall be overthrown? (laughs) Or maybe he's like, 40 more days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Are you happy? Right? And he just walks off. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how he said it. I don't know what it sounded like. I don't know how many people heard. We don't know. We don't have intonation in the text. I wonder how he said it. Was he happy about this message? Was he fearful of delivering the message? I don't know. 
The verb used here for overthrow is the same verb used when we talk about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. It's the same calamity that will come upon them. Jonah says that it will be overthrown. You remember those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah? I remember those cities. My people know those, uh, those cities. You can't find them on a map, can you? They're gone. Forty more days and this city's going to be gone. It's going to be wiped off the map. It will be overthrown. That's the connotation here in this story as Jonah uses this prophecy. Jonah knows the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's relaying the sort of uh, bigness of that to the king of Assyria. Jonah has only spoken, get this, three times in the whole book of Jonah so far. The first time he speaks, he's, t- he's talking to like the ship captain, and he tells the crew who he is and who God is. That's it. Great, Jonah, you're a prophet. You're supposed to talk for God, and that's all you say. Fine, we'll let you go. Right? Chapter 2 is his monologue where he just repents. Whether he is truly repentant or not, I don't know. We don't have intonation. We don't know Jonah's heart. But we have this, this, uh, this story about Jonah feeling distant from God and, and needing to get close and back to God's presence. And that's, uh, that's when he talks again. He hits rock bottom. He has his, his come-to-Jesus moment. And then here, in chapter 3, he has a total of eight words. That's it. Eight words. Every time that Jonah has spoken, every time that he has opened his mouth, his words have come true. So we'll remind ourselves that Jonah is identified as a prophet of God, and the word prophet in Hebrew literally means mouthpiece. He is the mouth of God. So when he speaks, his words become true. What he says comes to pass. Verse 5 reads, that they fasted and put on sackcloth. It's kind of an interesting little habit. I don't see a whole lot of people putting on sackcloth nowadays. Can't go over to Penny's or Kohl's and pick up sackcloth off the rack. Uh, off the rack, it's not there. Uh, sackcloth, right, is basically like burlap. It's not Egyptian cotton. It's not fine silk. It's woven goat's hair. And they would put burlap on as a sign of sort of their inner repentance. To say, I, I am in repentance. They would cover themselves in ashes. It's a, it's a distinctly sort of Hebrew practice. And so it's interesting to note that the king of Assyria, not a Hebrew, picks up this practice of repentance. Puts on not only just the king, but the whole kingdom. All the people in the land, the animals, everything. They dress them all in burlap and they cover them in ashes and they begin to repent. Verse 7 says this says that uh, there was a decree in Nineveh. And the book of Jonah loves to do this to us. That if you had to ask the question, who is more faithful to delivering the message of repentance to the people? It, it's not Jonah. Again, Jonah's got eight words. The king has, I don't know, 80, right? He's got more things to say, which makes sense, right? He sort of has an investment here. These are his people. This is his livelihood. This is his kingdom. And you could say that he, uh, he's vested in this. And at first glance, that might make a lot of sense. But as we read into it more and understand more about that culture, we find out that maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because he's the king, right? Jonah's a foreigner. He can do whatever he wants in his land. He answers to nobody, right? There's not a board of directors. 
There's not like shareholders. He's the king of Nineveh. He does not answer to anybody but himself, let alone this upstart foreigner who doesn't seem very interested in things going on in Assyria. The king could have him executed, could have him thrown in prison for the rest of his life. Jonah should count his lucky stars that that did not happen to him. But something interesting happens that the king, for some reason, responds to what Jonah says. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this. Maybe it's uh, this other moment in the Bible where you hear about David and Nathan. And the prophet comes and says uh, all the things that David did with Bathsheba. And David says, I am that man. It's that moment of uh, truth where it's, uh, it kind of rocks you to your core. The king maybe hears these words, maybe this truth spoken. And the king says, what have I done? And so he responds to the words of Jonah and the words that God has given Jonah to say. Verse 10 reads, When God saw what they did, they turned from their evil ways. Verse 10. How they turned from their evil ways. God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. For the first time in our story, the words that Jonah speaks do not come true. And Jonah is not sure what to do about that. Because as a prophet, he's in the business of his words coming true. So he speaks the words, and they don't come true, and Jonah doesn't know, doesn't know what to do with himself. Not really too sure what to do with God. We'll recall that, that Moses intervened for the Israelites in the wilderness, right? You might recall the story. Uh, Moses is up on top of the mountain. He's getting the tablets. He's receiving the law. He comes down, and all the Israelites have decided to throw a huge raving party while he's gone, right? They create this big golden cow, and they're all worshiping it. And Moses has to intercede on behalf of the people, because God says, that's it, I'm starting over, we're going to kill everyone. And then Moses says, no, don't, please don't do it, don't do it. Moses intercedes on their behalf, and God relents. Jeremiah is another prophet who intercedes on behalf of the foreigners that he's in, this land, they're in captivity, and Jeremiah says, God, don't, just wipe them off, and God relents. Guess what he said he was going to do. So there's precedent for this occasion. Okay, so I need to just, just stop for a second. I need to take a step back because I have a couple questions and I'm confused. And maybe you are as well. I'm not sure. First off, when I read this, God changed his mind. And ever since I was a little boy, I was told that God does not change God's mind. The book of Jonah will disagree with you. That's all I'm going to say. Wrestle with that for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> That's all I got. I don't know what that means, but uh, it challenges my idea of God. And I think that's a good thing that Jonah does that for us as a community. The second thing is I'm very confused because if the Assyrians are the bad guys, right? And we know they're bad guys. Let me tell you something else about the Assyrians. This is just completely awful, right? They're the type of people, as they moved people from Israel, to the far-off distant lands, forcibly relocated them. They would take hooks. 
They would shove them into the noses of the people. They would bend them over and take the hooks and shove them into the haunches of the person in front of them. And they would make them walk to wherever they were going to put them. The Assyrians are the bad people. But if Jonah's told to go to Nineveh and tell them that God's going to get them, why doesn't he go? This is good news. Jonah gets to go to the Assyrians and say, I told you, you all were terrible people, and God's going to get you. Finally, right? Some justice. So why does he run the other way? Maybe it's because Jonah knew God would relent. Maybe it's because Jonah knew God was first and foremost a God of love. And Jonah doesn't get what he wants. And that challenges Jonah. It challenges me when I think about it. But the good news is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you told God to stick it wherever. It doesn't matter. That is the crazy, relentless grace of God is that God will forgive no matter what you've done. And Jonah doesn't want to deal with that. Because Jonah has his idea of God. He's a God who follows the 600 laws of the Old Testament. The God of the Ten Commandments. This God's going to get you if you mess up. This is my God, so I can't go to people who are my enemies and tell them that God might forgive you. All it requires is a repentant heart and to turn back to God. And so where does this leave Jonah? God forgave Jonah in chapter 2, gave Jonah a second chance. God forgives the Assyrians in chapter 3 and gives the Assyrians a second chance. Great. Tells us a lot about God. Where does it leave Jonah? Well, friends, that's chapter 4. <laughs> And I invite you to come back next week to wrestle with where it leaves Jonah. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.